Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? This is a Michael Graff Show News Alert. I didn't win Powerball. From the Michael Graff Show News Center, it's me, Mike. And upon checking my tickets following Wednesday night's historic jackpot, an estimated $1.6 billion, I matched exactly one of the six numbers drawn. This means I netted a regrettable negative $10 on my investment. Lottery officials say that the winning Powerball ticket was sold in... Well, who gives a f*** where it was sold because I didn't get it. This has been a Michael Graff Show news alert. I now return me to my regularly scheduled mundane drudgery. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. Michael Graff Show. Hello. How come I rich and you not? How come you not sell real estate like I do? How come I sleep with your wife while you at work and then I pee in your toilet and don't flush? And sometimes I open the back part and I pee in there so that when you flush, pee come out. You know why? Because I'm smart. I'm smart, you stupid. Michael Graff. We're dealing with one sick son of a bitch. Okay, okay, let's try to watch the language. There's children present, yeah? That's right. One in ten support D's nuts for president. The zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Hey, that's just a regular unattractive guy who's not famous. Michael Graff. If it's a legitimate rape, the female body has ways to try to shut that whole thing down. And you're an idiot. Ah! At the tone, the time will be 26 Railroad. The zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Oh, that's what gay is? Oh, yeah, I could totally get into that. The following broadcast is in the hands of a guy whose professional and social lives are going about as well as Hillary Clinton on a polygraph. From his exile in the urban desert, it's the zip code famous Michael Graff Show. everybody yeah obviously I'm still here so I I didn't win Powerball and neither did you that's the good news I mean unless you're the person in Chino Hills California that bought that ticket then yes uh, you are the winner and F you I saw some people on the news and this is one of those weird things about the lottery by the way, yes, uh, there was only one ticket that matched all the numbers. It was sold in Chino Hills, California, $1.6 billion. So in case you didn't know, in case you're one of the few people living under a rock that had no idea, yes, the, the big Powerball jackpot, that's it. There was only one ticket. But uh, I saw some people on the news that are obviously very delusional about all of this. And... Uh, They were talking about all the ways they were going to spend the money as if they already had it. There were these people, and I understand whenever you buy something or whenever you gamble on anything. I see this in Vegas, too, and I always say this. If you're going to go in there with the idea of, well, I'm just going to lose anyway, then don't even bother. I always love that, too, when you're in Vegas and you're sitting there at a blackjack table or you're playing at a craps table and some mush, some sad sack walks up to the table and they're like, well, I'm already down a thousand dollars. What's another five hundred? Here you go. Give me some change. It's not like I'm gonna win anyway. Those people are the worst. And I know it sounds superstitious, but don't ever hang out at a table in Vegas with sad sack guy, because sad sack dude never wins anything. It's one thing when it's a guy that's losing, but he's still having fun. At least. At least that guy is all right. You know, the guy that goes, well, you know, I don't really win much usually, but, you know, I'm having a good time. The guy that goes, I never win anything anyway. That guy is the dude you should always avoid. 
But that's the guy they interview. They always get like at least one of those guys on the news when they're talking about the lottery too. Well, I never win anything anyway, but I just figured it's $1.6 billion. I might as well play it. And then they have the people that are up there going, oh, yeah, I'm going to win this thing. Yeah, I'm going to get myself a new uh, 9,000 square foot mansion. And then I'm going to get myself a brand new truck. That's the first thing I do. I go over to that, uh, that there, uh, I go over to uh, Camelback Toyota. No, I go over to Ford. Never mind. I ain't getting no Jap car. Uh, I'm going to go over there to Ford or Chevrolet. Yeah, and I'm going to get myself a big old apple pie. And I'm going to get myself a firework bunch of fireworks and i'm gonna get a big old truck big old f-150 of or uh 350 i'm gonna supercharge that bad boy and then i'm gonna go and light off some fireworks in america they always get the the biggest hayseeds that they interview on all these things they always act like they've got the money already see it's you have to be somewhere in the middle you can't be sad sack guy and you can't be overconfident dude and i'm not saying that it matters one way or the other because unless you're about 80 years old or unless you're missing a lot of teeth or unless you're yeah yeah, like in west virginia someplace or if you're some person that probably shouldn't win it anyway or if you're in an office pool those are about the only people that ever win these things it's never somebody that usually knows what they're what to do with it because most of the people that win the lottery have no idea anything about investment or how to take care of things they're just one of those people well you know they just blow it they would blow everything in a matter of days. Even I don't know how anybody could blow a billion dollars, but I'm sure that whoever won this thing, if it's if it's one guy, I'm sure that guy has found a way that he's going to blow this thing. Or or chick, I don't know. But see, this is where my sadistic side comes out. I really hope that it is an office pool that uh, got this thing. And I know the the demographics of Chino Hills uh, would make that kind of unlikely because Chino Hills is a rather rich area in Southern California. If it's where I'm thinking of exactly, it's a pretty rich, it's pretty upscale area for the most part. I know there's bad parts of it, but it's probably either some migrant worker who, of course, is uh, employed by some rich guy and probably isn't even legal or allowed to play the lottery, or... It's, um, you know, it's some rich guy that just decided, well, I just need another billion dollars to throw in the pile. (laughs) It's one of those guys. And uh, so then they're an asshole for even playing. Like, if you already have a few million dollars, don't play the goddamn lottery. If you do that, you are just a douche. And you really shouldn't even be playing this thing. Period. You should be arrested. If you already, if you have a net worth of over $5 million, it should be illegal for you to play uh, the lottery. I realize $5 million isn't the be-all, end-all. I understand that. But, I mean, come on. You've got $5 million. No, you don't need to be playing the lottery. Let the toothless uh, schlubs, let the 85-year-old people that won't even be able to use the money anyway, the people living in the double-wides... And then uh, your average, your occasional average Joe like myself that only bothers to play the lottery when it gets to an amount of money that I deem as worthy. Like, I love how I never play the lottery when it's $40 million because that's that's what Powerball starts at. It starts at $40 million. And I'm like, I'm not going to bother playing Powerball at $40 million. $40 million. That's nothing. That's like $24 million after taxes. Screw that. Meanwhile, I would be... I'd be elated if I won $10,000. I would I would have come in here if I had matched 
like four numbers in the Powerball and won like a hundred thousand dollars, I would be sitting in here. I would be. This would be a completely different show today. The tone of this show would be utterly different. I'd be like, yeah, you know, I'd be like just going crazy in here at the idea of uh, even a hundred grand. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of sadistically hoping that it's an office pool. Here's the thing, and this is, just take this as future advice. Don't ever get involved in office pools with the lottery because you know you're just going to get screwed because whoever is in charge of all the tickets is going to be like, oh, no, we didn't win, but I bought one of my own tickets after work. I stopped over at Circle K or 7-Eleven or whatever, and uh, I picked up a ticket for myself, and it just so happens that that was the one that won. That was the one that hit. We've seen that story a thousand times whenever uh, we talk about these lottery tickets. Remember, uh, I, I, the most recent one we talked about on the show was a few years ago, that uh, woman, I think in Maryland, that was um, at a McDonald's. She worked at a McDonald's, and a bunch of people that worked there with her got in on a mega millions. And that wasn't even a, a massive jackpot. It was only, and I say only, like a hundred and something million dollars. Well, of course, they won. And she did just what I said earlier. She took the ticket and she goes, no, that was, um, no, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, that was my own ticket that I bought uh, off of the pool. It wasn't part of the pool. I bought that. That was an individual purchase uh, that I got uh, after work at a 7-Eleven. Oh, okay. So, of course, it always leads to lawsuits. Most people that win the lottery inevitably get sued by somebody who just tries to get a piece of it because that's the kind of society we live in. So... Really, think of it this way. Look at the positive. You could have had a lot of headaches had you woken up this morning having won $1.6 billion. So you know what? You should actually be glad you didn't because those are headaches that you just don't need. Right? Right? Okay. Anyway, so uh, that's the big news on that front. Uh, What else? Well, we haven't talked since the State of the Union address. On Tuesday night, President Obama gave this uh, big State of the Union address and big bunch of production and all that. I'm not even really going to comment on it because it's just kind of the usual sort of stumping speech. It's the usual sort of, yay, America, blah, blah, blah. This is one where President Obama tried to assure everybody that his last eight years have actually gone really well, that he's been doing a great job. And uh, he's like, you know, the, the U.S. economy is doing better than ever. Really? Because I don't know. I I see that the Dow Jones, which has actually taken quite a dump the last few days, but yeah, the Dow Jones is way up from when you took office, which kind of means that the the corporations that have been sitting on the billions and trillions of dollars uh, and not really creating many new jobs, yeah, they've been doing really well. So the rich have gotten richer, and that's great for them. Um, And people like yourself have done better. And You know, a few people that are invested in the market have done okay. But um, as for the unemployment numbers, well, let's be honest. A lot of people have been perpetually unemployed or underemployed for the last almost eight years. And I know that there's a bit of that, that there's certainly a blame to go around for that. The Bush administration certainly should bear a lot of the blame for that. And uh, the Congress that preceded this president, which was Democrats and Republicans, need to bear a lot of the blame. But, you know, President Obama had many years to try and clean that up himself, and all we got was about, what, another $7 trillion. We almost doubled the national debt 
from the time Obama took office up until now. But of course, that's not covered. And so we're sitting here talking about how the economy is doing so well. And then he gave the whole, these are the best troops in the world. And then everybody does the faux clapping because we have the best troops in the world. And listen, our troops are great. Our military is great and all of that. And I don't know who would actually want to be in our military right now. If you do, um, I my hat's off to you. Because that's incredible that you'd want to serve, given everything that's going on right now, given all of the stupid conflicts that this country gets itself into. I'm amazed that anybody wants to actually get involved in the military. So if you do, good for you. And I'm not saying that it's bad to cheer for the troops. I'm saying that when politicians do it, it just seems so phony. It really does. Our troops are the greatest. You know, that's obviously just there to get everybody to clap. So that's one of those times that even the Republicans are, are clapping. Like Paul Ryan's sitting back there. He's he's just stone-faced the whole time, except for the troop thing, you know. He's, yeah, he's clapping. He's going crazy. And then it's like, well, uh, a lot of these people are saying that uh, this will be, we're, we're headed down the path toward World War III. Well, that's just not true, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, well, of course ISIS by itself is not going to lead us into World War III. But the reason that people talk about that, it's not because it's a fear-mongering strategy. Well, I mean, some people obviously use it as such. But it's not entirely fear-mongering. It's also because if this uh, radical Islam continues the way it is, and you keep poking at these places like Russia, for example... And you keep poking at places like the United States and Israel and Europe. Eventually, countries are going to get tired of this crap. People are going to get tired of this crap. And they're going to tell these Islamic nations, hey, you know where a lot of these terrorist organizations are and you have done nothing about it. And if you don't do something about it, well, then we will. And that might mean the destruction of your country. And that might mean a lot of chaos in the world. I'm not saying that's right. But what I'm saying is that's something that could very well happen. Russia is already getting pretty pissed off about it. Vladimir Putin is talking pretty tough. And the one thing we know about old Pooty Poot over there is that he's one of those guys that he is an actions person. He's not just full of hot air. He will do stuff. I mean, he's (laughs) he's attacked the Ukraine. He's attacked other places, former Soviet states. He has attacked them. He is uh, he's kind of a crazy guy. So that's um, that's the deal. And, of course, Israel at any point could just snap because they're getting tired of being bombed and suicide bombed and harassed by all these people, by Hezbollah, by these uh, radical Palestinian groups, by the uh, neighboring Arab states and all these other people. So, of course, at any point, it could all kind of go south. So that's why people talk about World War Three. Yeah, we're not saying that there's going to be another Third Reich or something. Although, who knows? That's another situation that we'll have to talk about on another show with the way things are going over there in Europe. So I'm not trying to paint it all completely gloom and doom, but the president trying to give us this rose-colored glasses look at how things are and then saying that uh, the one thing I will say I will give President Obama some credit for was he kind of said the biggest regret he's had over the last uh, eight years during his presidency is that he couldn't really get both sides to come together. And he sort of rode into the White House as this guy that was going to be a uniter and that he was going to get uh, people to cooperate and people to come together, and he couldn't. And I I have to say that uh, he was pretty honest about that, and that is a pretty truthful statement. He could not get people to come together because, number one, 
we have actually in this country over the last well since 2009 and really it started long before that but since 2009 this country has become the most polarized nation i have certainly seen in my lifetime we are more divided than ever and partisan politics has become so insane and we have so many fragmented sections of the Republican and Democrat parties and it has just it's really gotten out of hand actually to the point where nothing gets done anymore unless one party has complete control and even then stuff still didn't get done because there are so many divides within a party for example the Democrat party is divided up into sections and that's pretty obvious even as we look ahead to the presidential election There are people that are Hillary people in the Democrat Party. There are people that are Bernie Sanders people. Uh, Nobody's a Martin O'Malley person, so I don't think you have to worry about that. But there are people that are clearly divided in there that see the corporate special interests. Although I will say that most of the Democrat Party supports Hillary because if you support Bernie Sanders, you're going to support cutting off your own funding, basically. Uh, A lot of these Democrats are like, I I, I don't want to support him because then I I don't get all my special interests and I don't get my super PACs. So, and and obviously the Democrat Party and that uh, Wasserman Schultz uh, has basically set this thing up for Hillary to win. And that leads me into the big tweet I had last week and I made the prediction and I made the bold prediction on the show the other day too that Hillary Clinton would win the White House. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand on that today. I'm just going to tell you that I think that Hillary actually wins by at least 15 points. She wins the White House. And it's pretty, I'm not going to say that it's a Reagan-Mondale landslide, but it'll be a, a pretty convincing victory. And I'm not saying that because I'm rooting for that. In fact, uh, if anything, I, <laughs> that would just disgust me to the point of I don't even know. I'm not going to be like one of those dudes that says I'm going to Canada but it, it, it definitely, the idea just sends shivers down my spine. And nevertheless, uh, I think Hillary Clinton wins by at least 15 points in the election in November. I don't care who she's running against. I don't care if it's Trump or Cruz or, or whoever manages to come out ahead in this thing. It's certainly not going to be Jeb Bush. <laughs> Jeb. Oh, poor Jeb. I almost feel sorry for the guy. Almost. But... Um, and that, that brings us up to uh, this point, too. The big uh, Democrat or the big uh, Republican debate is tonight. Yeah, the Democrats would never debate on a weeknight. They only debate on, like, Saturday night at 3 o'clock in the morning when nobody's looking. Because that's the only way that they can get Hillary to win is to make sure that these debates are held. <laughs> the Democrat debates have to be held at a time where nobody can see Hillary Clinton. Because if anybody sees that, they're going to go, oh, Hillary Clinton's actually pretty much an evil and is completely and totally unelectable. And that's why they hide her away. Yeah, the next Democrat debate will be during the Super Bowl on February 7th. So, yeah, that's what that's what they're going to do for the next debate. They're going to try and hide her away that way. Oh, my God. I can't believe that. So anyway, yeah, the big Republican debate is tonight. And guess who is not invited to this one? They're only going to take the top six candidates, I guess. And that means Rand Paul is out, even though the polls do show that he qualifies. I guess they used uh, some older data to just nudge him out. Like he missed out by like a tenth of a point. So Rand Paul, that that's pretty much the end of his big uh, career. 
And what's weird is there was a time, it was only about a year, maybe just a little over a year ago, where these magazines and all these pundits were saying that Rand Paul was the next big thing in the Republican Party. Like he was going to have uh, his time to shine. And I have to say, and I know I'm going to probably catch crap for this, and I know I've sort of made allusions to this on the air, but of all the Republicans that are running, Rand Paul is pretty much the most sane guy that they have. And I know, I know, I'm not saying this is an endorsement on my part for Rand Paul, but he's pretty much... This is how bad the Republican Party is right now. Rand Paul is really the most sane guy in on the Republican side. I mean, think about it. John Kasich is just this angry, red-faced dude who just does nothing but sweat and carry on about how his dad was a mailman. Like, if I hear that whole story about my dad was a mailman, and he gets very angry that everybody else gets more time and more publicity than he does, and he can't understand why he's not getting any. And then that's what he spends his entire time talking about. He doesn't talk about issues. He just talks about how everybody else is doing better than he is and how everybody else is paying attention to people that are louder or that make better points or that don't sweat all over the place uh, or whatever. He's just mad. He's just an angry get-off-my-lawn guy. There's Carly Fiorina, whose big claim to fame is, hey, uh, well, I was president of HP, but I'm not going to talk about that very much because that... Uh, kind of went south on me and I, I sort of actually ruined HP. Uh, but her big deal is I'm a woman on the Republican ticket. Like, isn't that crazy? I'm a woman running for office. That's her big deal. And I know nobody's going to get this reference, but she's like the Ken Hamblin of presidential candidates. Ken Hamblin was this guy that was on the radio many years ago that used to be like, uh, I'm Ken Hamblin and I'm a black conservative. That was his radio show. He was a a black conservative. He was like the black Rush Limbaugh. And he'd go on the air and say, I'm the black Avenger. That's what he'd call himself. I'm Ken Hamblin, the black conservative. And that was his entire show. That was it. <laughs> that was like, all right, uh, let's go to the phones. Hey, uh, you're on the air with the black Avenger. Uh, uh, hi, Ken. Um, so are you a black conservative? Yes. As a matter of fact, I am a black conservative. Uh, James in Wichita, Kansas, you're on the air. Wait a minute. So you're black and you're a conservative? Yes, I am. Thank you. I can't believe it. I know. I can't either. Thank you. Next call. That was his radio show. So Carly Fiorina is like, hey, uh, I'm a... Because the only other thing that she talks about is, um, well, I'm against uh, the legalization of any drugs because of my family situation and my personal connection to people that uh, have had drug issues through the years. Now, all right. So it's all about you. Okay. Then there's Chris Christie, who basically uh, says that he's all for spying on Americans. That's his big deal. He's actually, he talks about how on September 10th, he was appointed to the Bush administration, uh, which, by the way, that's not true either, incidentally. He talks about how the day before 9-11, he was uh, put in place. No, actually, he was put in place in... Uh, in Homeland Security or whatever after uh, on December 7th not on September 10th 2001 it was more than it was like 3 months after 911 he's put in so that whole thing so he's a liar even about when he's appointed like that's something that can very easily be looked up and then he talks about um, how he's proud of domestic spying and how we need to actually monitor Americans and we need because we need to be vigilant we need to make sure that we watch for terrorists so He's actually proud of that. And then there's the rest of the panel. You know, Jeb Bush, who's just... 
who's pretty much insufferable. Well, uh, well, I was president. Well, I was uh, I was governor of Florida, and you know he's talking about his resume from Florida. And frankly, I don't think anybody wants another Bush in office anyway. Whether or not he's good or not doesn't matter, which he appears not to be. What's weird about him, though, is he has the largest war chest of anybody. I mean, I'm not talking about Donald Trump and his $10 billion. I'm just talking about the amount of money that Jeb Bush has raised for campaigning through the years. He has over $100 million at his disposal. So, yeah, he's not Donald Trump in terms of personal wealth, but in terms of campaign wealth, he's really garnered a ton of money, which is surprising that he has spent a lot of money as well and is still sitting at what? I did see in the polls he did surge in Iowa a little bit. He's up to like 9% in Iowa, but he has spent all of that money and he's still a distant fourth place to uh, every to what Cruz and Rubio and uh, Donald Trump. And then, of course, Ben Carson's fallen off the map, which kind of personally disappoints me because I just love hearing the stupid things that come out of Ben Carson's mouth all the time. But I guess it is kind of a novelty act, and the novelty is worn off. Donald Trump, who everybody says is the novelty act, apparently isn't wearing off, which, I'm telling you, man, I've, uh, I've spoken to a few Trump supporters now, and... And look, I respect a guy that is not part of the political establishment. Believe me, I'm all for people not part of the political establishment getting involved. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, Donald Trump is a very savvy business person. I'm not going to say anything bad about that, but um, because he, he does have $10 billion and I don't. And he seems to have earned most of his money and I have none. So I'm not going to sit there and berate his business acumen. But in terms of a presidential candidate, oh my God, is he terrible. And I could run through, there's a long list of reasons why Donald Trump would be a scary person for president. But, um, and he's orange too. Like, what human being is orange? Why is it that wherever he appears, he has he either has this spray on tan or whatever he's doing, this makeup that he wears, whatever, he is orange. And I keep pointing that out, and I know people go, well, Mike, why is that a big deal? Why are you pointing out what somebody looks like? Because I can't trust a guy that's orange to run the country. And I don't mean because he has some weird skin disease or some skin tone that makes him orange. No, don't make this a racial thing. Because he does something to his skin, he's spraying on something or wearing some kind of makeup that makes him orange. And that's just not right, man. Like, I understand Carly Fiorina has, like, Botox injections and does all that, too, which is also weird. So weird. These Republicans are so concerned about the way they look. I know, I know you're getting old. It happens to all of us. I'm getting older, too. Look, we, we all are getting older. That's just the way it goes, man. You just got to chill out. When you contrast all these other people, and, you know, Marco Rubio, I mean, he's going to tell us how... Uh, he came from nothing, and, you know, I, I, we get all these guys. I came from nothing. All right, great. Great, you came from nothing. I, that doesn't mean you can relate to the common person, and you're not doing a very good job of it anyway. Marco Rubio doesn't seem like a bad human being. Uh, he doesn't seem sleazy and slimy like Ted Cruz. I don't think, I really don't believe, even though my cynicism toward politicians is generally you can't believe most of the things they say, but I don't really think Marco Rubio is a terrible human being. Maybe somebody's going to show me an article that proves me wrong. But that doesn't mean I would ever vote for the guy. Rand Paul, 
out of all those people I just listed, and including Rick Santorum, who you can never elect simply because if you go to Urban Dictionary and look up what Santorum means, well, you'll know why. He'll will never have a President Santorum. Um, uh, given the when you juxtaposed Rand Paul against everybody else, uh, you have to see that there is no way. I mean, Rand Paul is actually the the most sane out of all of them. And I still probably wouldn't even vote for Rand Paul. I do see that Gary Johnson, I guess, is running again. So that'll probably be the guy that gets my vote. I have not given my official endorsement or my official vote yet. But I would have to say that Gary Johnson probably stands the best chance out of everybody. The libertarian candidate from 2012. I did vote for him in 2012. I even ran Gary Johnson ads right here on this show. The cool part about that is I am not bound by federal election laws because this is an internet program. So I can pretty much do what I want. I can interview who I want. I can talk about who I want. I can play the ads for who I want. And uh, at least for now, until somebody comes along and regulates that, look out because net neutrality is around the corner. And uh, there's a lot of other FCC guidelines that may very well be coming up over the horizon about internet broadcasts. That's something else. That's another giant thing to tackle eventually. Boy, oh boy, do I worry about that stuff. I really do. That's something that concerns me. All right, anyway, once again, we've had an incredibly long opening segment because that's just what we do here. So, and then I've got to still talk about um, Iran. I've got to talk about capturing of our uh, of some of our soldiers. I have to talk about that, how the United States handled that situation. And I've got a lot of other things to get into. We still have uh, a lot of other features we're still going to get to. We haven't even checked on the pop chart in a while. Maybe we should uh, take a look at the pop chart for the first time in 2016 and see what's happening over there. Plus, we've got the song of the day. We've got our big segment, Who Gives a f- we're going to do that coming up. And so much more. I just love saying that. Who gives a f-? So we'll have that and so much more. It's all still coming up. The Zip Code Famous. Michael Graff Show. MichaelGraff.com. The day after the big Powerball jackpot. Make 
Groffshow at gmail.com. That is our email address. It's groffshow at gmail.com. That's also our PayPal address since I didn't win Powerball. We're still looking for your generous contributions to this program. Groffshow at gmail.com on PayPal. Also, you can um, go to The Michael Groff Show on Facebook. Michael Groff is our handle over on Twitter. And for everything else Michael Groff related, the one and only Michael Groff. Dot com has everything else related to this program. Uh, the thing about that is you can listen to previous programs. You can comment on this or any other show. You can sign up, register over on our site so that every time we post a brand new edition of this program, you'll get an email notification. And of course, you can donate. You can do all sorts of crazy, fun, and exciting stuff all at the one and only michaelgroff.com. So yesterday, uh, one of the big stories of the day was that uh, 10 American forces that were over there uh, in Iran that had been captured by the Iranians because apparently a couple of our naval ships drifted. There was a technical problem with one of the ships and it drifted into Iranian waters. And their foreign minister, this guy Javad Zarif, was in negotiations with our own Secretary of State, John Kerry, and they were talking about the ways that they were going to release these uh, these 10 sailors that got captured by uh, the Iranian forces who, you know, they took them captive because we dared to accidentally sail into their waters or, or just get near enough to their waters. This happened somewhere near Farsi Island, I guess, or something. Anyway, pictures came out showing these Iranian forces having our sailors on their knees with their hands at their heads. The Iranian forces were pointing guns at them, of course, because, well, I don't know, they just had to do whatever they can to take away the dignity of our military. That's what they do over there. The little bit of power that the Iranians have, they have to flex their muscle whenever possible. And so what does the United States do in this situation? How do we react to it? Well, of course, what we do is we apologize because the Iranians are like, well, you better apologize for doing this. So, of course, right away, uh, we, we, as the United States does, we, oh, we're so sorry. This won't happen again. I assure you this was uh, an accident. And uh, they accused us of um, unprofessional acts. And um, they said that the, our soldiers would be released soon. So eventually they did get released yesterday. So we had to do a lot of groveling. John Kerry, the master of diplomacy, was over there and he decided that, uh, all right, well, I'm, I'm just going to apologize to them. And then not only did we apologize to the Iranians, but then we also thanked them for their graciousness and their hospitality and all of this. You know, pointing guns at our at 10 sailors' heads. Good God. Now, any other country, if this would have happened... If we would have sailed into Russian waters or if Russia would have accidentally sailed into our waters, how would we have handled it? Would we have taken them hostage? Would we have kidnapped them and said, hey, hey, Russia, hey, Vladimir Putin, you'd better apologize for this kind of behavior. It's very unprofessional. You'd better get to apologizing right now. No, of course we wouldn't do that. We would just say, hey, turn around, get out of these waters. You're not supposed to be here. And they would. And that'd be the end of it. Or if you're having technical issues, all right, we'll, we'll help you out or we'll just sit here and we'll just watch as you fix whatever the problem is or we'll help you get out of here. But we wouldn't take them hostage. We wouldn't point guns at them. We wouldn't do all that. And the Russians wouldn't do that to us. And most civilized nations wouldn't do that. But of course, the Iranians, they just have to at every possible stage flex their muscles. 
and show that they are, in fact, in a position of power over there. Give me a break. This is not how I would have handled it, by the way. I can tell you, President Groff, who does not believe we should be over there in the first place, and I don't think we should be meddling in all that, and I understand that the Iranians don't trust us very much, and I don't trust them, and so on and so on. We have that ridiculous deal on the table as well. I realize that. And uh, ordinarily, I wouldn't advocate this, but I would tell you that if you're going to just decide to capture some of our sailors for no particular reason other than you can and you want to flex your muscles a little bit, I would counterflex my muscle and I would just say, look, um, Iran, you know, you guys have a lot of sand over there, right? Um, well, you know what happens when sand gets superheated by, let's just say, the splitting of a hydrogen atom? Yeah, it turns into glass. So if you guys want to avoid being turned into the world's largest window, I suggest that you let our guys go. Thanks. It's the only language that those savages in the Iranian government really understand is the tough talk and the violence. And that is exactly why, if I were president of the United States, that's pretty much how you'd have to talk to them. They pulled this crap before with the British. They captured, I think it was 15 British seamen several years ago. Remember that? And they kept them for a few days or a couple of weeks or something like that. Oh, we're terribly sorry about all that. A terrible mix-up. And when can we schedule some negotiations? And... It's like, look, you guys are just as bad as we are on this, apparently. And this is the problem. I, I, I'm i okay with diplomacy to a point, but this is just too much. The Iranians don't understand diplomacy. And if, listen, if you just sent over a couple of uh, airstrikes on them when they pulled this kind of crap, believe me, they would never do this stuff again. They wouldn't. Maybe they'd just open fire. Maybe it would turn into a, an all-out war. I don't know. But they have to know that the United States or most anybody else can wipe them off the face of the earth. I mean, oil schmoil, it doesn't matter at this point, does it? And by the way, uh, let's never mind all that. Anyone notice the price of gas just dropping? The prices of oil are just dropping and dropping. And this is the thing about um, the world's economy is been declining further and further. The Chinese economy, even though it's kind of in a slow fall right now, it's not dropping nearly as fast as it was anticipated to because Chinese, I think they passed some type of a law that you can only sell off 5% of your stock in a business every month or something. So they've sort of prevented a massive cataclysmic descend in their stock market. But the Nikkei is way down. The Japanese stock market, the Japanese economy has slowed down. Other Asian markets have slowed down. The European markets are obviously in chaos because of all the uncertainty and civil unrest that's going on over there. So the United States economy, you know, despite the the great message that the president tried to give us the other night about how well it's going, we're also having some trouble. And that is exactly why oil has gone down. At least that's one of the reasons oil has gone down as low as it has. I don't even know. I, I saw a prediction that before the end of the year, or sometime this year, we could see oil prices drop to, what, 10 or $12 a barrel? I mean, I don't think that's ever going to happen, but who knows? Maybe it will. Maybe we'll see oil prices continue to bottom out. Gas prices are certainly going way down. And I know, I know, President Obama sort of tried to take um, credit for that the other day. <laughs> yeah, you can't say that the economy is doing well and then turn around and take credit for the low price of gasoline because guess what? The two are completely contradictory. You can't say that the economy is going well and, oh, by the way, the most precious resource on the planet 
uh, is at an all-time, or not an all-time, but certainly at a, what, a seven or eight or ten-year low. You can't take credit for both. It's one or the other, dude. And the reason that gas prices are so low is because, well, there's less money out there floating around, less demand because, well, there's more unrest, there's just more chaos, there's more economic depression going on around the world. So keep that in mind, Obama. All right, whatever, enough about all that. Here's something else. I know some of you are going to jump on me because this is kind of sports talk, even though it's more business than anything else. The Rams are in St. Louis no longer. The NFL franchise has moved to Los Angeles. They are now the L.A. Rams. Well, they're once again the L.A. Rams because that's what they were as recently as 1994. And uh, so... St. Louis is now without an NFL franchise. The big owner, what's that guy's name? Kroenke, who owns the um, the former St. Louis Rams, now the L.A. Rams. Move the team out there. And you got to respect this part of it. The guy wants to build this massive Taj Mahal of a stadium. He is it, it, what they're calling a football complex, a football campus, basically. This palace, this temple to football uh, out in, I guess, Inglewood or somewhere uh, in the greater L.A. area, but in a kind of a nicer area. And they're going to build this thing. Did you see the models of this stadium, what it's supposed to look like? It's got this glass roof, this huge, like, it is It is this massive, incredible building, this incredible shrine, basically, to football, this stadium that is just beautiful. I can only imagine what that's going to be like to play in. And it's going to cost somewhere around $2 billion. And this guy is going to pay for it himself. Not going to use public funds. Not going to use taxpayer funds. And this has always been my criticism of a lot of these uh, franchises that demand public money and demand that the public build them stadiums. Is that, listen, you guys are billionaires. You guys can build it yourself. You don't need the taxpayers to fund it for you. And this guy doesn't. He's going to build it himself. And in that case, I don't care what it is. Build it as beautiful, as big, as extravagant as you want. This thing looks like it's going to be even better than Jerryland down there in Dallas. Jerry Jones' big facility for the Cowboys. This looks like it's going to be 10 times as awesome as that place. And that place was over a billion dollars to build. So um, this thing is just magnificent. So anyway, that's one NFL franchise that was on the rumor mill to go to the L.A. area. Now, one of the other two that remains is either going to be the San Diego Chargers or the Oakland Raiders. One of those two franchises will probably end up in L.A. It looks like it, it very likely could be San Diego because they're trying to get public money for a new stadium in the San Diego area. They don't want to use Qualcomm anymore. That place is a dump. So they want to try and get a new stadium. But... Um, the public is not so willing to fund it. And that's been their big problem, trying to get public funds for all that. So they may move to L.A. and either try and get funds from the people of Los Angeles or they may use the Rams' new facility. They may essentially become tenants of Kroenke and the Rams organization. I don't know how the legality of all that works out, but that sounds like it's going to be an interesting scenario. So one of those two other teams very well may move to L.A. So L.A. may go from having zero teams to two teams. And, you know, if there's a market that deserves to have an NFL franchise, it is Los Angeles. After all, they treated their previous NFL organization so well that, uh, what? Oh, they, they, both, they, they moved away and because nobody was going to the games. And people in L.A. were pissed because now there were blackouts and they couldn't even watch their own teams. 
Oh, that's right. That's why they lost their franchises in the first place. The Rams couldn't wait to get out of L.A. The Raiders couldn't wait to get back to Oakland. <laughs> oh, well. So anyway, that's maybe the, the climate has changed a lot in the Southern California area. Maybe the L.A. sports climate has changed. Although I doubt it because every time I watch Dodger games, um, the place, the, the fans show up in the third inning. They leave in the seventh inning. So I, I don't think sports fans in Southern California have really changed that much since uh, the Rams and the Raiders left in 1994. I don't think it's all that different compared to how it was. Meanwhile, it's time for that part of the program where we all get to pat ourselves on the back, or at least those of us that were with the state of Colorado and the residents that decided to legalize marijuana. Remember a couple of years ago, a lot of these detractors and a lot of people said that if Colorado legalizes marijuana, it would become a huge disaster. Remember all of that? And, oh, it's going to lead to the ruination of the state. And, oh, there, there could be all sorts of unexpected consequences, unintended consequences and crime. And there could be just crazy things happening. Well, as it turns out, it's actually been one of the best things for the state. Um, it's been a couple of years now. We can kind of start to see the picture a lot better now that we've had the prism of time to look back through this. Look at this. Um, first of all, revenue in the state. According to this... The legalization of marijuana, they've brought in over $125 million in taxes, and that's just in the year 2015. They're going to use this to fund local public schools, uh, obviously uh, other government programs, plans that are put in place by the governor, and uh, it, a lot of revenue, a lot of good things generated by that. Obviously, arrests for things like marijuana and possession and all this other stuff that surrounds marijuana and the, you know, the paraphernalia and all that. That's down 80%. You might say, well, why isn't it down 100%? Well, the reason for that is because while you can still legally possess marijuana, if you are in possession of more than I think it's an ounce or something, then you are still in violation of the law. Um. Things like cultivation, if you have some kind of a license or whatever, uh, plants and whatnot, you won't get arrested. So obviously, arrests are way down, and that means prisons, that means jails in Colorado don't have a lot of the offenders for marijuana sitting in them anymore, which is also saving taxpayer dollars. And this is the other part that's not even factored into the revenue portion. You're saving money because there aren't as many people in jail from uh, using marijuana. So it's it's sort of the, the triple threat here. You're making money. You're not arresting as many people. That means police are actually out there to fight real crimes. And you're actually saving money because there aren't as many people in jail uh, from, uh, from using marijuana. So... I don't know. I, I think it's been a great thing. And the state of Washington, uh, we're going to take a look at that eventually. In the state of Oregon, we're going to be able to look at some of those numbers eventually. And we're going to see that, in fact, legalizing marijuana is a good thing for many of these states. And there's going to be other states that are going to follow suit. So to all of those people that said that it wouldn't work and all of you detractors of the legalization of pot in Colorado, it looks like it's working out. And preliminarily speaking, in Washington, it looks like it's working out as well. And I bet it works for Oregon and I bet it works for any other state that wants to legalize pot. Uh, medical marijuana has certainly worked out in most states, especially where people have not intervened and where it hasn't been trounced upon. Like in this state, for example, we have a county attorney here in Maricopa County, uh, Bill Montgomery, 
that has tried to fight tooth and nail against medical marijuana and he's used uh, a lot of state resources to go against it even though the voters approved the legalization of pot well at least the use of medical marijuana they've they approved it three times before finally it uh, i guess passed muster and was able to uh, be utilized here in the state of arizona but whatever so as long as people aren't interfering with it i think that it's going to be very healthy very good for the economy overall are there going to be people people that abuse marijuana? Uh, you know, of course, there's going to be people that abuse anything. There's people that abuse cigarettes and alcohol and drugs and anything else, any other legal supplement or pharmaceutical or uh, it doesn't matter. People abuse things. That's what people do. But overall, it's been beneficial to the economy. It's been beneficial to people and um I would wager to say that uh, the crime statistics, other than just arrests for possession of pot, I mean, just the overall crime statistics in Colorado have gone down ever since this has happened. Uh, Drug-related incidents where guns are involved and violent crime from all that, I bet that's all gone down as well. Even though I don't have those statistics in front of me, I just have the the arrests for possession and cultivation and uh, all of that. So, we'll see. A couple other things here that I have left over. Oh, yeah, some things from the uh, State of the Union that I didn't address. First of all, I don't know when it became the thing to have a rebuttal to the State of the Union address. I have brought this up before. I don't remember when it started. Um, I know that it was a thing during the Bush administration. I know it was a thing during the Clinton administration. I don't remember too much. Maybe Bush Sr. It was still it was there. I don't remember anything before that. I'm sure it was. I don't know when that got started, but I know now it's a more prominent thing. So the other night, Nikki Haley, who's the Republican governor of South Carolina, gave the rebuttal to the State of the Union, which I think is just silly. Why does a State of the Union address need a rebuttal? You you don't have to like Obama. I understand that. Uh, but I don't know why any president needs to have a rebuttal to their State of the Union. Do we really need that? Does that have to happen? Does the other party need to have that representation? Well, uh, I didn't like what he said, so we're going to have to go up there. The the opposing party gets to have a rebuttal. Now, that's not carried on all of the major networks, of course, uh, but it was on the cable news outlets, CNN, Fox, and uh, MSNBC. I know they all had it. And various radio outlets and NPR. You know, all those other people were carrying it as well. So I saw Nikki Haley's rebuttal and, you know, it's one of those things where she kind of called out her own party a little bit and said that we need to ignore, we need to stop listening to the people just because they have the loudest voice. And she took some shots at Donald Trump, basically. And she took some shots kind of at the noisemakers and just the ridiculousness in her own party, but mostly took a shot at Democrats. And she said, you know, that we need to get back to the basics of the party and we need to, you know... Uh, and she was talking about God and all of this. And as soon as I hear a, a politician start to talk about God, I don't care what party they're associated with. When I start to hear that, I understand why they do it. But I know I zone out right away. And I go, yeah, sorry, I don't really take much stock in what you have to say after that. Sorry. I know, I know I'm, it's one of those things. Uh, I know 90-something percent of the public out there believes in a higher power of some kind. And I'm not saying I don't. I don't know. I'm an agnostic. So I don't know. But I do know that when I hear politicians start to talk about God, and 
I think we should just talk about the things that are present in the here and now. I think we need to talk about the issues that people are interested in that are going to affect this country going forward. And I just don't think that invoking the name of the Sky Wizard is going to... It doesn't do anything to move us forward. You know, all of that does is, yeah, it serves to galvanize your base. And you're like, hey, uh, so, you know, God's on our side. And, you know, we got to get back to God, guns, and grit or whatever the hell they're... But I, I'm, I just zone out when I hear that kind of talk. But Nikki Haley, she gave her, um, her rebuttal, whatever. You know, there was mixed reaction to it. One person that chimed in, though, that is notable is good old Ann Coulter. <sighs> Ann Coulter is still trying to be relevant. And this is uh, one of these days I know I'm going to have to do it, just an entire media rant um, because I just have such a problem with the media in general. And I don't just mean journalism. I mean all forms of media, internet, blog, TV, radio, uh, there's just there's a a media rant that's in me somewhere. I, I just don't want to do it right now, but uh, just a, a little preview of it. Uh, one thing I know for sure is that there is no way, there's no way that Ann Coulter is this stupid. There's no way. I know people hate her. I know she's a conservative columnist. For those of you that don't know, somehow, Ann Coulter is a conservative columnist. She's a commentator. She's uh, she's always making her way on TV as well, on um, Fox and various other programs. She's on radio. She she goes around. She she does the whole circuit. Okay, so Ann Coulter, and you know people try to carry on like she's some attractive conservative woman or whatever. She's really weird. She's very almost creepy in the way she acts sometimes, and she says these very outrageous things. Like she was the person that after nine eleven said that the nine eleven victims were basically milking the system. Um, and she says these other outrageous things. And the reason she says it, I'm almost 100% convinced that she doesn't believe half of the crap that she says, just like a lot of these people on the left and right in media. And instead, it's one of those things that you do it to sell books, you do it to get ratings, you do it to get people to tune in, because the more extreme you are, the more crazy you are, the more likely you are to get people to listen to you and to talk to you uh, if nothing else you at least find a niche audience i mean alex jones has made an entire career out of spouting this crazy sort of uh conspiratorialist stuff the conspiracy stuff works with people man people buy into that stuff alex jones has found a niche with it i'm sure he doesn't believe half of the stuff that he said maybe he does i don't know i i just i just don't think so but ann coulter chimed in the other night and she wrote a tweet that says Donald Trump should deport Nikki Haley actually it says Trump should deport Nikki Haley well to say the least the uh, thank God that even people on the right and people on the left uh, pretty much unanimously this is where we finally had some bipartisanism in this country people on the left and right told Ann Coulter to just shut the f*** up We've heard it. All right, we get it. You're crazy. Just shut up. Stop talking. Now, this criticism comes just one night after Ann Coulter was criticized by Republican strategist Liz Mayer for her continued support of Donald Trump. Uh, Liz Mayer says, quote, In no way 
is Coulter conservative and no way is she interested in conservative policy. Well, of course not. She's interested in selling books. Ann Coulter cares about Ann Coulter. She doesn't care about the Republican Party. She has no allegiance to a party. She has no allegiance to anything other than book sales and therefore being as crazy as possible because she obviously has yet another book. How many books has Ann Coulter written? I don't even know. But she must have, she's got to have written, what, about 30 books at this point? She is always hawking another book out there. I have, uh, I, I can't imagine it's that easy to write a book, but uh, maybe when you just put the same stuff in it over and over again, I guess it's probably pretty easy just to write stuff like, uh, Democrats are evil and liberalism is a mental disease, even though I don't think she's the first person to write that. I, I don't know. I think that's Michael Savage territory, but whatever. All of these guys, Michael Savage, Ann Coulter, they write books just constantly. That's their whole life. Of course it is. And then Ann Coulter goes on the TV circuit and the radio circuit. She's all around the media and she's promoting this stuff. But the only way you're going to sell these books is you have to be out there and saying crazy stuff all the time. I bet the average, and I, I don't know, I don't follow Ann Coulter on Twitter. I only see her tweets when they become newsworthy. I don't even really look over there. But I bet if I did, I bet each one of them would be crazy. I mean, they have to be. That's how you sell books. I think I know this strategy. So you sort of dial down the crazy a little bit. You go from, you keep your craziness, you go about a four or five on the insanometer when you don't have a book to promote. So you just kind of put out your general conservative blather, your usual stuff. Then once it's time to start promoting a book, you take your, your sort of moderate insanity and you just dial it way up that way. And of course you promote the fact that you're going to be on TV and Hannity and all these other shows that you're going to be on. So that that way everybody can tune in and, and hear your craziness. But keep it going on social media also as long as you have that book to sell. Because that's what sells books. People are going to go, man, she's so crazy. I want to see what she'll say next. That's how people sell this stuff. And that's what's wrong with media in a lot of ways. And that's partially why, and I'll get into this. One of these days I'll get into this on a much grander scale. But that's partially why I'll probably never be very successful in media. Because I'm just not that person. I'm not that person on the left or the right or the libertarian or the whatever. I'm not that crazy. I may have my crazy moments. I may say a few things that are outrageous here or there, but I, I never dial it up unless it's actually there, unless it's something genuine. But these people can do it at the drop of a hat. They're very good actors. And I'm sure Ann Coulter, look, I know people hate her because of what she says, but I will guarantee you, if you just sat her down, if you really talked to her, if she was ever to be genuine and honest, maybe when she gets to be 70, 80, 90 years old, I bet she'll be one of those people that maybe, maybe the truth will come out and she'll say, you know, of course, I was just trying to sell books. I was being outrageous. That's what a lot of these people do. They're very good at acting. They're very good at putting on a show. That's what they do. I wish I was that person. I, believe me, I wish I could do that. I wish I had, yeah, I, I, it's, not, um, it's not good for your integrity. Doesn't say much about your character. But I wish I had that ability to just go, eh, I'm just going to say some outrageous and extreme stuff today and that's how I'm going to sell books or that's how I'm going to get people to tune into this show and that's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to propel myself is by being an extremist, by being a crazy person, by acting like a crazy person. Now, are there legitimately crazy people that are in media that are, of course, I think anybody that can put on an act like that and be that convincing and do it all the time, they are crazy. Of course, they're, they're sociopaths in some way. 
Ann Coulter is probably a sociopath. I don't know. I, I couldn't say for sure. But probably. Probably some uh, definite borderline personality disorders. I don't know. And it's not just to attack conservative media because liberal media is the same way. It's all a put on. So, whatever. Ann Coulter out there making more dumb statements all the time and people give her airtime for it, including me. I'm guilty too. So, I'm not excluding myself from that. I know I've done it. Um, but what else would we talk about, I guess, right? Maybe we just talk about issues or maybe we just play music or maybe we just have a much better time if I didn't talk about that stuff. I think that's actually <laughs> it's good advice, which is why we're going to get out of this segment. We're going to go on to some other stuff and uh, we'll continue. Maybe I'll sneak in a look at the pop chart. We're kind of long on time already. We've been here almost an hour already. Two segments into the show. We've already done an entire show's worth of uh, show of material. But what can I say? I'm a giver. I'm very generous. Uh, groffshow at gmail.com, by the way. That's our PayPal address if you want to be generous. Groffshow at gmail.com, also the email address for your comments. The Michael Groff Show on Facebook, Michael Groff on Twitter, and for everything else Michael Groff related, it's michaelgroff.com, and we'll be back. This is the zip code famous Michael Groff Show, michaelgroff.com. Since I did not win the Powerball, feel free to donate. Groff Show at gmail.com via PayPal. The Michael Groff Show on Facebook, Michael Groff on Twitter, and for everything else, all other concerns, Michael Groff related, it is michaelgroff.com, where you can go there, comment on this or any other podcast that we've done, listen to our previous episodes, you can donate to the program via the website, and of course, you can, uh, you can as I get all choked up about it, sign up and register and so that way, every time we post a brand new edition of this program, you will get an email notification. We don't spam you. We just let you know when a new show is up there. All of that and much more can be done at the one and only michaelgroff.com. The 
French are getting pretty serious about the rise of radical Islam across Europe and specifically their own country to the point where they're now starting to ban various Islamic groups. Now, before you say, oh, this this sounds familiar, this sounds like some bigotry. No, they're banning some of the most prominent groups spouting hate, inciting jihad across France. In fact... Uh, that's the latest here. They've banned three such groups. Most recently, uh, one called uh, Retois Our Sources, which loosely translates as Back to Our Roots, I guess. But anyway, uh, they shut down another mosque in Paris uh, recently. And they've shut down several mosques dating back to uh, late November and early December, shortly following the terror attacks that hit the country that killed uh, 130 people and left hundreds more injured. Obviously, um, the government spokesman, uh, Stéphane Lafolle, said uh, in a cabinet meeting, the fight against preachers of hate will be total. He also said, we're clearly taking action against those who incite jihad so this is a big thing look the french obviously they got hit very hard they've even worked with the russians they've teamed up with the russians to find out who went after their flight and of course the russians came back with that conclusion that they are fully convinced that that was uh, isis or some terror group isis or al-qaeda or some variant thereof so they obviously know that it was a terrorist organization and they're just trying to find out what nation or nations are housing these guys? Who is giving them safe harbor? Who is funding them? Look, the French are getting serious about this. And I think all the jokes about the French being a bunch of puss bags, I think maybe we're uh, going to have to put that behind us for now because they're taking a lot more action, I think, on this matter than we are. Uh, that's for sure. So the French are... Um, and they're not just doing stuff like, oh, we're just going to go over there and just start bombing because Murica. No, they're actually investigating. They're getting involved with other nations. They're uh, starting to form coalitions. And they're not just going in guns blazing. Well, although they did actually go in guns blazing to a couple of um, homes uh, in their country. Uh, they found some houses where some of these guys were hanging out. They went in there and literally did go in with guns blazing. But um, nevertheless can understand uh, this is just part of the growing concern across much of Europe as radical Wahhabi sect Islam takes over. I know our president is too afraid to even say the word Islamic terrorists, but that's exactly what it is. The, uh, the French aren't afraid of that. I don't know. Of course, there's other crimes and other all, all, just all sorts of crazy stuff is happening all across Europe as a result of the influx of radical Islam. And I'm not saying all Muslims are are the cause of this. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not one of the, I'm not uh, I'm not going to spout the Donald Trump stuff of we need to close off the borders to all Muslims for a while. No, 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 nothing like that. But you cannot deny that there is a correlation with the increasing Muslim population and these not only terrorist attacks but also rapes various violent crimes, murder, all this other stuff that's been going on across much of Europe, well-documented increase, significant increase in crime. And I'm not necessarily blaming the refugees uh, that are moving across, but there has just been a boom of Islamic population in the last 20 years across much of Europe. And 
we know that at least some of those people, some, even if it's just a small percentage, are radicalized, and that can be dangerous. So we'll keep you up to date on all that. Meanwhile, I talked about Uber the other day, and, uh, well, this is the uglier side of Uber. We told you a little bit of an ugly story about a guy that kind of got gouged by the service on New Year's Eve because they'll jack up the rates during peak times, especially New Year's Eve, where they can pretty much charge up to about 8.9 times the normal fare. But Uber's in a little bit more trouble, a little bit more negative light after a 29-year-old Los Angeles woman claims that an Uber driver attacked her after a confrontation, leaving her with a broken jaw. It allegedly happened in the Hollywood area in the early morning hours of New Year's Day. Now, during the ride, an argument took place between the passenger, Crystal Ortiz, and the Uber driver named Michael. A part of the initial altercation was recorded on a cell phone. In the video, the driver could be heard accusing Ortiz of being combative. At one point, the driver stopped the car and demanded that Ortiz get out. When she refused, Ortiz said that the driver attacked. Now, I did watch this video, and I, I want to make sure that I, because I'm just going to be fair about it, you don't really see an assault here, but you do see that this guy obviously gets very agitated. He's cursing at the lady. But the weird part about this, and, I, you know, she has a broken jaw, and I don't know, it, it does kind of sound like this guy was weird, but he's like, I'm canceling the ride, and she's like, why? And she just keeps asking him questions, and she, she he said, get out of my car, and she's like, why? If somebody tells me to get out of their car, I'm getting the hell out of their car. I'm not going to sit there and argue with them and ask why and be one of those kind of people. I hate those people. I don't know if she was drunk or not. It doesn't. I don't know. Maybe she was a little bit. Why? Why are you canceling the ride? And of course, just recording everything on the cell phone. Why? Are you do? It's like, dude, she want. He wants you out of the car. He wants you to get out of his car. Just do it. I don't know why people argue about it. I'm not saying that she deserved to get a broken jaw necessarily. Although I don't know the incident because, of course, conveniently the uh, the camera shuts off. So we don't really know exactly what happened. So I'm not sure. It seems that something weird went down there. But this is this is the uglier side of Uber. Although anything weird can happen. Anyway, this woman is bringing a lawsuit. Not only against the driver. Let's see, she's hired this attorney. Uh, Ernest Algori. Uh, now... Uh, he says that the reason that she didn't get out of the car and that she was asking questions and just sort of staying in it was because she was in an unfamiliar area in the middle of the night, miles away from her home. Ortiz and her attorney were pursuing criminal and civil action against not only the driver, but, uh, but Uber as well. Well, I got news for you. You're not going to get jack crap from the uh, driver, but you're probably going to get something out of Uber. Uber says they take this matter very seriously. They say that they do background checks and screenings and all this on their drivers. Their drivers are required to have license, registration, proof of insurance, all that kind of stuff. And that, um, you know, this. meanwhile, this driver has been banned from participating in the service anymore. So we'll see. That's a kind of a weird story. Now, about the only thing that's worse than getting punched in the face by an Uber driver and having your jaw broken is, well, this segment right here. Oh, 
It is time for us to take a look at the pop chart, folks. Problem is, I kind of don't feel like it, so we're going to make just a little bit of a change. I took a look at the pop chart coming into this segment, and I said, you know, there's like four Justin Bieber songs in the top ten, and I just don't have the stomach for it. Normally, we would take a look at the top ten songs in the world of pop, and we would see what radio stations are playing everywhere, or... What's on the top, uh, in, according to Billboard or whatever, but it's it's just basically all Justin Bieber. So instead, we're going to take a look at the top five songs in the world of rock. But yes, only the top five songs because, well, we've already done an hour and ten minutes, and even a train has to come to a stop eventually. So we're going <laughs> to have to move this along, all right? All right, number five. This is the mainstream rock chart. Number five in rock this week, it's... Hailstorm, I am the fire. I am the fire. I am burning If you're into the female lead vocals in rock music, then yeah, Hailstorm is definitely one of those that you're going to like. It's hard. Sometimes I find it really hard to get into female singers in rock because, and I'm not talking about the 80s stuff like back in the day with Pat Benatar or even Lita Ford or that kind of stuff. I'm talking about more current music because it's it's pretty tough. Evanescence was all right. I liked that for a while. But, um, and Hailstorm's all right. I mean, she's got a decent voice. It's, it's not, it's not really my cup of tea, but at the same time, I appreciate the talent. Certainly better than anything that's on the pop chart right now. Let's put it that way. But meanwhile, at song number four, it's Seether with Save Today. So save today. much better than the pop chart normally does. I don't feel like gouging out my ears as of yet. Some actual rock, actual instruments, no auto-tune here. At least I'm not hearing any right now. Some actual talent being displayed. It's kind of awesome. It's kind of a change of pace. I Maybe we should have done the top ten. I would stick around for extra time uh, just to listen to better music than uh, what we normally get on the pop chart segments. So yes, these are the top five songs in the world of rock. And next up at number three, it's a song that was in the running to be our brand new intro theme. We wound up using another one of this band's tunes as our intro song, but uh, this was one that I definitely considered. It was top five on the list. Uh, number three on the mainstream rock chart this week, it's Shine Down, State of My Head. Shinedown tunes that are really awesome. 
And there were several that actually I considered using as uh, the theme to this show. Several Shine Down, Disturbed. Um, There's a couple of Seether songs. There was a, a Godsmack song or two that was out there. So, certainly lots of good. There's. I don't want to say lots of good music out there, but if you look over on the rock chart, there's actually some songs that don't suck, and they don't even have Justin Bieber in them. I know, believe it or not, there's actually music that's not made by Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber, The Weeknd, I'm sorry, The Weeknd, or um, who are those other assholes that are out there right now? Well, whatever. Yeah, Walk the Moon, Fall Out Boy. There's actually music other than just those groups out there. I know, it's hard to believe, but if you look hard enough, you're going to actually find stuff that's out there that, uh, you know, people are actually making that isn't terrible. Speaking of tunes that aren't absolutely terrible, it's Disturbed at number two. This is The Lights. I really like the energy in this song. It's pretty neat. shifting more in the rock direction to find good music. It used to be the pop chart did have a couple of good tunes here and there. I mean, well, way back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, the pop chart had a lot of that stuff. It had a lot of rock stuff, it had a lot of crossover, and now it really doesn't. So if you're looking to find good music, you do have to expand your genres. You're going to have to look in uh, other areas. Especially if you're trying to find it on the radio. Well, I'm just telling you, there is good music out there here and there. Alright, meanwhile, the number one song in the world of rock for this week, it is... Five Finger Death Punch with Wash It All Away. I'm not that much of a Five Finger Death Punch fan, but I appreciate the genre. I mean, I appreciate the talent. It rocks, it's good. show and people in our audience probably wouldn't like exactly this right here but you got to admit even if you're not into this sort of genre it's way better than Justin Bieber come on is your look at the pop chart. Well, in this case, we called an audible. That is your look at the rock chart for this week. And you know what? Maybe we'll look at the rock chart again next week, or maybe we'll look over at something else. If I see four Justin Bieber songs on the pop chart again next week, 
then I'll probably just wind up having a meltdown and we'll just go and take a look at the country chart. We haven't done the country chart in a while. Or maybe, I don't know, Christian rock. Who knows? We'll figure something out. We always have a plan B here on the program. Anyway, from the top five songs in rock, I think that's the perfect transition into the song of the day. The zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Song of the day. And keeping our rock theme going for this segment. Well, it is Dave Grohl's birthday today. Yes, the Foo Fighters frontman and former Nirvana drummer turning 47. Born on this day, January 14th, 1969. Which just makes me feel kind of old. I guess we'll do one of my favorites here. It's the Pretender. It's the zip code famous Michael Graff Show song of the day.
from the album Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace. It's the Foo Fighters and the Pretender. It's the zip code famous Michael Groff Show song of the day. Man, there is just so much still to get to, so much other stuff to talk about, but we are way, way backed up as it is. So let's get to this. Who gives a fuck? news that the media wastes valuable newsprint megabytes and airtime reporting. Do you want me to give you my things I don't care about speech again? And the only question we're left asking is who gives a fuck? Yes, it is our ongoing effort to expand the demographics of this program and that's why we bring you the news stories that I traditionally wouldn't care about and perhaps some of you in this audience wouldn't care about either. But clearly somebody has to because the media wastes valuable time and resources presenting them to you. And that's why they end up in this segment right here. For example, Charlie Sheen says that he's been off his HIV medication for about a week now. And he is seeking alternative treatment in Mexico. <laughs> Quote, I've been off my meds for about a week now, he said on the Dr. Oz show on Tuesday. Am I risking my life? Sure. So what? I was born dead. That part of it doesn't faze me at all. The actor also says that he is seeking treatment from a doctor, a physician in Mexico named Dr. Sam Chihuahua, Chihuahua whatever. Uh, Dr. Oz says that that physician is not licensed to practice medicine in the United States. In November, the sitcom star revealed to Matt Lauer on NBC's Today Show that he has HIV and has had it for around four years now, but he also said that doctors have found undetectable amounts of the virus in his blood. They haven't been able to detect it for a while, for several weeks actually, but uh, when he appeared on the Dr. Oz show, he said that he had some disappointing news. Quote, but yeah, I'd been non-detectable and non-detectable and checking the blood every week and then found out that the numbers went back up. Well, yeah, that's what happens when you stop taking your meds. Generally speaking, um, you get worse. That's kind of how it works. When you're taking meds for a chronic illness and then you stop taking them, the chronic illness is going to start coming back on you. That's usually how it works. Charlie Sheen... He has uh, lived a crazy life, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, meanwhile, Stephen Colbert's numbers are way down. The uh, the Late Show star said, well, apparently CBS doesn't care. They're not really phased by it. Despite the lurking conventional wisdom that suggests American audiences would rather tune in to a giggle-filled parlor game show than thoughtfully curated political satire, CBS is apparently perfectly happy with Stephen Colbert's performance as host of The Late Show. That's coming from a brief interview with network president Glenn Geller. Responding to questions about The Late Show with Stephen Colbert's relatively lackluster social media engagement at the TCA press tour earlier today, Colbert's Facebook page has less than a quarter of the followers as Jimmy Kimmel, while The Late Show's YouTube channel has only about a tenth of the subscribers as um, as uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Meanwhile, Jimmy Fallon over there on NBC, he's way ahead of both Kimmel and Colbert. So that's kind of how that's going. It's uh, The Late Night Wars, it's really... I don't even know if it's a two-horse race at this point. I think it's mostly... Um, 
think it's mostly Jimmy Fallon. And I don't even know how anybody tunes into Jimmy Fallon. That is just unwatchable. I tried right after he took over for Jay Leno. I said, there is got it. There's no one that could be worse than Jay Leno. Jay Leno is terrible. T- like he could have anybody on and he's not, he's going to be softball with any of them. Like he would have Hitler on and be like, Phil, I understand that you wrote a book. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, what is what is wrong with Jay Leno? And I figured there's no way anybody could be worse. Well, as it turns out, Jimmy Fallon is just as bad. He's another guy that he's just, and I think he is genuinely happy to meet these people. Like, he just can't believe that anybody would come on his terrible show. And I can't believe it either because, well, that show is pretty bad. And the celebrities that he gets on his show are big names. And Jimmy Fallon just seems way too happy to see everybody. And he always just asks them these incredible softball questions. Kind of like Stephen Colbert whenever he gets a a liberal on his show. Like a political figure that's a liberal. Bernie Sanders is on there. He's just kissing his ass. But Jimmy Fallon, you'll get diabetes watching him. It's just this sugary, sweet just, ugh, I, I just can't stand that kind of thing. It, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that old Saturday Night Live bit where Chris Farley would have some celebrity on and he would just go, remember that time that you jumped off the top of that building? What was that like? That was pretty cool. <laughs> That's exactly what Jimmy Fallon's like, except it's much higher energy. It's just happier. It's just this dose of sugar and honey and rainbows and ugh. It's just too much. I, I do like Jimmy Kimmel, and I can even tolerate uh, some of the Stephen Colbert um, political satire stuff because that's that's good. But I mean, come on, let's. Does it always have to be liberal slanted? Really? Couldn't you have asked Bernie Sanders a tough question or two? Couldn't have you, you just asked him, "Hey, uh, how do you plan to pay for all this stuff? All these ideas that you have, how do you plan to pay for it?" Oh, that's too much. No, you just kiss his ass, I guess. All right, whatever. All right, meanwhile, Quentin Tarantino, his latest cinematic outing has received critical acclaims, The Hateful Eight. I don't know if how many of you have seen that, but um, one thing about it that people are saying sucks, the, the big detriment to it is that it is three hours, seven minutes long. That's apparently the roadshow cut. The standard version still clocks in at 167 minutes, which is two hours, 47 minutes. And it's some people say it's great, but some people say it's just the master of indulgence and ponderous. For example, one review says, quote, it takes 33 minutes to begin the setup. That feels like an an indulgence. He tends to write scenes to set stuff up and never wants to lose them, with the exception of um, either Reservoir Dogs or Jackie Brown. But. Tarantino is sort of the master of uh, being ponderous in his movies. Listen, I love Pulp Fiction. Reservoir Dogs was fine. Never did see Jackie Brown. Listen, I haven't seen most movies, but Quentin Tarantino is pretty good. But I have to tell you, when when I see a three-hour movie, I generally punch out. I just don't have... It's not so much about an attention span, although that certainly is part of it. But I just think that if you can't tell your story in around three hours... You're probably doing it wrong. Hell, even after two hours, I start to feel myself zoning out a bit. Now, the exception to that is a movie like The Lord of the Rings. Like, I could watch ten hours of that. And in fact, I did because I have the director's cut 
of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And each one of those movies clocks in at around three and a half hours. And I sat here once and watched them all in sequence. I don't know if I could do that now. That was many years ago. Maybe it is an attention span thing. Maybe I'm just getting older. I'm just like, I just don't have the patience for this. But if I really get into a movie, I don't even know how much time has passed. I'm just completely engrossed in it. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. But that happens pretty rarely. There have been times I've been in the movie theater and I'm just looking at the clock and 30 minutes, 40 minutes has passed by and I'm like, man, they haven't even started setting up this movie yet. Uh, How long am I going to be here? Uh, It's like, then you start to think, uh, then (laughs) that's one of the main reasons that going to the theater is such a, it's, it's like playing the lottery. You're spending 10 or 12 bucks on a movie And especially given the way Hollywood is right now, you don't know what you're really going to get out of that. You could step in there and it could be one of these three-hour marathon movies that is completely ponderous. And you're about 25 minutes in and you're like, oh boy. I felt that way with Avatar. The first 30-something minutes, 30-40 minutes of Avatar, I was kind of bored. And then it got pretty interesting, but boy, that, that first half hour, 40 minutes or so, my friends said the same thing. We were like, man, this might be a movie. We're going we're gonna to have to punch out of here. But luckily, it got pretty good. Nevertheless, if you're making a movie, here's just a pro tip for you. Try to keep it under two hours. If you want me to see it, if you want me to... Or you have to make it really, really good. And those kinds of movies are very rare. Let's see what else here. Oh, Alanis Morissette. She is going to be writing an advice column. (laughs) Starting January 16th, Alanis Morissette will be helping readers deal with their anger via an advice column for The Guardian's Weekend Magazine. The Canadian singer-songwriter will be filling the slot left open by actress Molly Ringwald who wrote her final column for The Guardian last September. Contributing to The Guardian uh, seemed like a natural step for Morissette, especially because, you know, the whole singing career hasn't really been going very well for about 20 years now. Since October, she's been releasing a series of podcasts on her own website that touch on, quote, everything from psychology to art to spirituality to design and health and well-being to relationships. Morissette told The Guardian that she's acted as a therapist for her family for nearly her entire life. Quote, parents, brothers, even extended family members, uh, that was the role I took on. Because I suppose I had this combination of intuition and empathy. Plus, let's be honest, we've been using Alanis Music as therapy since 1995, they say here. I don't know if I've ever used an Alanis Morissette song as therapy. Maybe I have. I don't know. I don't think so. I think she had some pretty stern advice for Dave Coulier in one of those songs. You ought to know. But I just can't imagine. Yeah, I'm, I'm using Alanis Morissette for my therapy today. I want to get my anger out. So I'm going to listen to a little uh, You Ought to Know. I want... There we go. Here's some therapy for you. I'm happy for you. I wish nothing but. 
best. That was such a good album, though. Jagged Little Pill. Boy, did she have the hits off of that. That was one of the biggest albums that came out during my lifetime. But that, the music off of that album, this song, there's all the songs that came off of that album that were singles were so huge, played so many places. Still, you hear them to this day. Does she really need the money? Probably not. I would hope not. Did she powerball that stuff? I don't know. That's what I want to hear about, too. Speaking of the uh, powerball, I just want to hear about those winners. In um, Because I guess now the, uh, the updated news here is that three people won the powerball. There was one in Chino Hills, California, somewhere in Florida and Tennessee. Matched all five numbers in the Powerball number. So they're going to get about 550 million, 500 million each, actually. 533 would be the math, Mike. There we go. Um, and then after taxes, what, about 270 million? 290 million, something like that. So I just want to hear how people are going to blow through 300 million bucks. Because I want to know. Those three people, or all those people that had that those uh, winning Powerball tickets, I want to see what happens to them in about five years. Is there any way that these people could blow through $300 million in five years? I mean, you would have to be the biggest idiot imaginable to do that, right? All right, whatever. Yeah, okay, I'm a little bit jealous of somebody that has uh, $300 million that didn't do anything to earn it other than just plunk down a few bucks on a ticket. All right, I admit it. Maybe I'm a little bit jealous. All right, I'm not really angry about it, but I will admit that I'm generally not the jealous type of person. I've never been a jealous type of person in a relationship or anything else, but when it comes to somebody just getting $300 million bucks out of nowhere, yeah, I'm probably a little bit jealous. All right, that's fine. I can admit that. All right. Uh, groffshow at gmail.com. That is our email address. It is groffshow at gmail.com. That is also the PayPal address for this program to make your generous contributions to us. And if you won $300 million and you want to show your favorite radio show, your favorite podcast, your favorite guy, me, just how much you appreciate this show. I'm sure that I could find a very good use for about a million bucks. So I'm just saying, I'm just floating that out there. Anyway, Show at gmail.com, email, and PayPal. The Michael Graff Show is our Facebook page. I think it works. Michael Graff is the handle on Twitter. I know that works. And the one and only michaelgraff.com, which works usually. Uh, that is where you can go to listen to this as well as previous editions of this program. You can comment on this or other shows as well. Get interactive with us. You can uh, email and contact us through the site. And you can get registered so every time we post a brand new edition of this program, you will get an email notification. We do not spam you. We just simply let you know, hey, there's a brand new show posted. That and much more can be done at the one and only michaelgroff.com. Thank you so much for listening. Really do appreciate it. We'll see you next time for another rousing edition of this fine program. Good night, everybody.